Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management and marketing professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Caligeris, Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Marketing, and your host for this episode. Today, we're joined by Terry O'Shaughnessy, Director of Client Success at Tallwave. Welcome, Terry. Hello, thanks for having me. Oh, our pleasure. Now, Tallwave is actually a local company to us here in Arizona, and it's a company I always enjoy interacting with. It's chock full of smart, passionate people dedicated to helping companies build the products and brands that customers love. And since that's also our mission here at Pragmatic Marketing and why we travel the world training people, uh, it's always a good fit. So I, I, it's really a pleasure to have you today, Terry. Thank you. That was nice of you to say about Tallwave. We love hearing that stuff. Excellent. So why don't you start by providing a little bit of background on Tallwave and yourself, just to give some context to our listeners. Okay. So um, as you mentioned, you know, Tallwave um, is located in Scottsdale, Arizona. We help companies. Um, our main goal is to help companies create a great customer experience through several services, including um, visual design, rapid prototyping, um, market intelligence, and user validation, as well as um, web and mobile app development. And um, yeah, so our principle here is um, around design thinking, you know, which is empathy and creativity, analysis and synthesis. And we also, um, you know, follow the lean business model as well, which includes that testing and validation of assumptions. So we do quite a bit of different things here, but um, in the end, it's all really um, geared towards a great customer experience um, for, for our customers. Excellent. And then when you say you're director of client success, what does that client success entail? Well, so um, so client success, um, I because we're an agency, um, my responsibilities include um, one, making sure that our clients, um, the people that we work with daily, are um, having a great experience with us and that we are um, also teaching and educating them on how to provide a great experience for their customers. And, um, you know, uh, we offer services, like I said, like user testing and market research and user validation. And those are all tools that are used to make sure that our customers understand their customers and are providing them with the best, um, the best service possible. So my um, responsibility here is a little bit twofold. I run uh, and manage um, all of our research um, groups as well as manage um, the, the success of our clients and the experience that our clients have. That's, that's a big role. It is. <laughs> yes. And I know as part of your overseeing research that you oversee both market and user research. Can you tell me a little bit about how they differ and why mm -hmm. they're both important? Yeah, of course. So um, market research is really more around the competitive landscape, the white space, um, where there might be opportunities um, in the market for our customers. Um, it's a little less about the user and more about um, where they might find their place in the market. Um, you know, as far as features and, um, you know, how they're talking about themselves in the market. And and actually, the um, a lot of what we do is looking into competitors and how their competitors talk about themselves in the market and the, the features that they have in place to, um, 
that the competitors have in place and how our clients might compete with them. So it's kind of about finding, sort of staking their ground in the market, helping them identify where the right place for them to be is. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And if and if their place is somewhere where the market is congested, which we often find, mm-hmm. you know, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's not a place for them. Um, because if there's a lot of people trying to do what they're doing, it definitely identifies that there's a need and that there's a problem that needs to be solved. Um, so what we do is just really help them dig into that space and identify how they can differentiate themselves so that they become the solution to these users. So they have a clear value. That makes sense. I mean, to yeah. some extent, if you have wide open market with no one in there, it might be because there's not really a market there. <laughs> no one's willing that's, to pay, right? That's what we say all the time. We definitely look for that white space. Um, but but typically, if there's a really large and obvious white space, um, it's often there for a reason. Hmm. So then you also do user research. So let's talk a little bit about user research. Okay. So, um, you know, a lot of times when we start to work with our clients, um, And, you know, we work with anybody that uh, with, you know, well-funded startups that are coming in with a concept. Um, We also work with companies like American Express, you know, that have been around forever. And, you know, in most cases, in both cases, I should say, typically people understand their market. They're there for a reason. They've either got a, um, you know, a long history of being there or um, it's it's an industry that they're familiar with. So, um, but a lot of times where they where they may need a little bit of help is understanding who the users are. So in order for an application um, or a business to be successful, you've got to make sure that there are actually users out there that need your product. So we start um, a lot of our engagements with what we call an unpack session, and that's just an opportunity for us to understand um, who they're trying to target. And we do a ton of great things around this. We, um, you know, we, we have them list all of their assumptions. We do, we build out personas for them. So, you know, we're, we're going into, um, age and gender and even, you know, sometimes, you know, location and just trying to get an understanding of who they think their target audience is and how that target audience is feeling and why there's a need for their product. But a lot of times that's based around assumptions, yeah. assumptions that those, um, you know, that the leaders in the business um, have made around their users. So what needs validation is, is we actually go out and talk to real users and ask them about these pain points and talk to them about, you know, what are they currently doing to help solve some of those pain points? What are frustrations that they may have with um current providers, um, what's missing. Um, It also helps us validate um, around the personas that were identified. So, you know, we collect every every bit of demographic information and we can say, you know, you guys identified that your demographic was, you know, between ages of 35 and 45 female. But what we found is actually your product may have a better fit for um, the, you know, for 35 to 45 year old women and men. And, and by offering them that information, it, you know, it really helps inform um, the design 
because, um, you know, designing for a 35-year-old versus a 65-year-old could be very different. And it also helps in the messaging and who you're speaking to. So um, we, we use this user needs validation process to either validate or debunk the assumptions that were made um, around the user's needs and pay points. And we also use it to validate um, who their audience is, to validate those personas. And, and like I said, that, that information is so valuable and it's used to um, you know, inform those um, very important parts of their product, the message and the design. So that's really interesting, and I and I think it's smart, right? A lot of uh, opinions and assumptions can lead astray. How often do you find that the assumptions are right or wrong? Or I mean, I'm sure there's a gradient, but talk a little bit about some experiences of of you of testing these assumptions and what you've seen. Well, so um, you know, we have. I have a ton of examples of how um, of, of when we have validated that the assumptions were right, but that's definitely not as fun to talk about. <laughs> not as compelling. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of the same thing when you go to user testing. There's a lot of examples of when, you know, when something, uh, you know, when they look at the prototype and they're like, this is great. It solves all, it solves all our problems, but it's more fun to talk about when it doesn't work. So with needs validation, um, I think that um, we had a situation where we had a client come to us and um, she had a great idea. She had been in the industry forever. And, and, you know, it's one of those examples when I say, talk about somebody that knew the market. I mean, she had been in it for 35 years, knew the market and had really identified a true pain point. So our first attempt into needs validation, we really targeted the, um, Contractors, so that her two personas were um, contractors, and the way they did billing, and then kind of her second tier persona was the marketing directors or CMOs, the ones that are kind of that were responsible for collecting the invoice from those contractors. So those were our targets, and we went out and we had a really great sampling of um, people from both of those groups and asked a lot of questions. And what we found was, although it was slightly inconvenient, the process that existed, it wasn't something that they would have identified as a true pain point. And the important thing to know about that is, if somebody's got a process that's slightly inconvenient but works, they're probably not gonna pay for your service if it just, you know, if it just kind of solves the problem. So through this, um, you know, it, it got us thinking, why, why did this woman who spent years in this industry think that this was such an issue, but the two personas didn't really, I, you know, didn't really feel it, didn't, didn't really identify with a lot of the stuff that we were asking. So, you know, we sat down, we had a strat, an internal strategy session here, and we said, what about the people in accounting and finance? Is that maybe where it's getting hung up rather than um, with where the transaction, you know, the actual like physical invoice moving hands from a contractor to the CMO? And once we did that, it was amazing. I mean, these these CFOs and accountants were coming back to us and saying it's impossible. They had um, cases where, you know, multiple contractors have different ways of 
you know, creating invoice numbers and PO numbers and referencing the work that they did. So when this stuff would come in to the finance teams, they would look at it. They would have a hard time tracking it back to who it was, what department it came from, um, even as far as if that contractor had worked with them multiple times, you know, being able to keep any type of record. So we we found the problem. It was a true problem that she identified, but just had identified the wrong personas. So we went back to her and said, your idea, like, is you're right. The assumption around the pain point is there. But where the real pain point is, is within the, um, the organizations that are contracting people out and how their finance teams are handling it. So we were able to really start to dig into that. And it did definitely shift um, parts of her business. Um, one thing for sure that it shifted is that her target audience, who she was going to market to, became the corporations. And, uh, and honestly, that's in a lot of cases an easier sell than to individual contractors. Mm -hmm. So, so the, through the research that we found, she just restructured a little bit, really created the tool around, um, the accounting teams to be able to like push out, um, like a billing and they would then assign invoice numbers, PO numbers, stuff like that. They had it in their system. And then the contractor submitted their invoice with that level of detail or with those details. And, um, you know, it was, and it was a win-win for everyone. Contractors, you know, who definitely identified that it took them forever to get paid. Um, they were getting their payments faster and, um, the, the finance teams were, you know, not having to scramble trying to connect the dots um, with each of these contractors. So I think that that's just a great example because the idea was there um, and just a slight change in um, who she was talking to um, really made a difference in her um, business plan and go to market strategy. That is a great example. And it's a great example of, um, you know, it can be scary to test your assumptions. You're already so bought in on your idea, but it's so critical to do it up front. And then there's things like this where the idea is valid and we show that, but let me, let me twist who you're talking to. And then it can be a much more effective piece. So powerful stuff. Absolutely. And we run into it. Um, you know, we've definitely had the examples where, um, the product wasn't necessarily, um, exactly what they're looking for. But I think that's the great thing about um, the team here at Tallwave, our, um, our research team. You know, we've all got backgrounds in, in this research, but also are very strategic. So you don't just go back to the client and say, um, you know, I always joke like, sorry, your baby's ugly, you know, have a great day. <laughs> we we, if, if there's something there, we work with them to really fine tune that idea and, and to get it in a place that is still theirs. It's, it's still really covering everything that they wanted to cover, but just changing some things and changing the approach and, um, you know, just, um, just really being able to look at their business from that, from the eyes of the customer. All right. So you've gone through and you've done a bunch of research, you've tested the assumptions. Now what? What's the next okay, step? so yes, yeah, so the next step would be um, in um, in the most of the cases here, Tallwave. Um, that information is then given to our design team, who works with the client, and they build out a prototype. So 
they would identify a core loop. And, you know, one of the examples I always give, like just to really simplify what a core loop is, is if you think of Instagram, like you take a picture, you add a filter, you post. You know, it's it's as simple as that. I mean, now there's a ton of other things that you can do. But at the end of the day, their core loop is picture, filter, post. And so um, our design team, they, they run a design studio where they go through all, you know, they talk about those personas again, um, really start to do some empathy mapping, like what are those users thinking and feeling? Um, what are they saying? Um, how is... Um, how will this product be used? You know, there's a big difference between something that's desktop and mobile, or if it's consumer facing versus business facing. So they go through a design studio, identify the core loop um, as as a team. So a couple designers, typically somebody from the research team and the client all start to sketch things out. Um, they identify things that they really like, and then the design team walks away with that and creates um, a clickable prototype. So the prototype is done in Envision, and that's just a way to test the product um, before you start to make a huge investment into writing code. So once that prototype is built, um, it comes back to my team where we do um, user testing. Um, this is a, we have several different ways to do it. Um, you can do moderated testing, which is where we are um, typically um, screen sharing with someone, going through the prototype, um, having them do simple tasks, asking them questions about the design, um, finding out um, ultimately if it solves the problems that were identified as problems during the needs validation. Um, we can also do unmoderated testing where um, we can send out a link and we're able to record the behavior of the user as they're um, clicking through the prototype, um, whether it's um, web-based or mobile. And then we um, analyze this information and, uh, you know, there's a lot to it. There's, you know, somebody might say, well, yeah, that was super easy to find. But if I'm watching them, you know, fumble around a screen for five minutes before they clicked on it, it wasn't that easy. So, um, you know, we review the recordings, we um, the conversations are recorded and we put together all this information and synthesize um, our findings. And then we report that back to um, to the client as well as the design team. And then they could make any necessary tweaks um, to the product. Uh, and, and like I said, and that's all done, you know, so the, the product itself has even been validated before you start to um, make an investment into a ton of code that may just not be the right, um, the right stuff for the end user. So again, it's it's taking out the assumptions and the opinions from the process and testing along the way so that each step of the, you have confidence in the next one. Absolutely. And, you know, and so testing, you know, it's iterative, like it's, it never, it never ends. And um, I love that our clients, you know, we, we try to keep them close to the process so that, um, so that they carry this through um, forever. You know, it's, you know, we all, we, you know, most people use Facebook and I always think it's funny, you know, when a new, you know, when Facebook releases something new, you hear everybody talking about like, oh my gosh, this is the worst. Like, <laughs> why can't we go back to the old Facebook? And, you know, and then nine months later, 
you know, another release comes out and everybody's wishing they had the one that they hated nine months before that. So there's with, with every product there's, um, you know, people get comfortable with something and, um, you know, they like what they're used to. They like to know where things are. So, um, whenever there's going to even be a new launch of a product, you know, running it past some users just to make sure that, um, one, it still works for them. Also that they, you know, sometimes when you're building something new, you may break something old. So just, you know, and, and stuff like that gets oftentimes gets, um, picked up in QA, but to run it past real users is extremely beneficial. And, um, you know, this is, I think it's so important to, to note that, if you talk to five people, five different people, um, you get about 85% of your findings. So it's not that, um, you know, for the first go round, I always think that it's really important to use a third party because, you know, this is their baby. They don't want to hear anything bad and it may skew what they're hearing. You know, people people tend to hear what they want to hear. So having that third party um, do this type of testing for you at the beginning to at least, you know, um, get the train on the tracks to, to get things moving in the right direction and really creating that foundation. And then, um, you know, this iterative testing is something that can be done um, with internal teams. I know a lot of times startups um, work off of a small budget. So just setting aside a little bit of something, even if it's just, you know, a person's time to reach out to, um, to actual users, as well as to reach out to people that aren't using the product to get that, to find that balance between, uh, do they, do they like it or dislike it because, um, they're used to the product and then just, you know, that getting the perspective from somebody that's never seen the product, doesn't use it. And just that, you know, intuitiveness doesn't make sense never being exposed to this before. And I think that's a really important lesson for the listeners that there's ideal ways of doing this. You know, if you had unlimited budget and all these things, but no matter what you have, find a way to at least get it done, right? It may not be perfect and you can expand it as you get bigger, but take the time, go out. I don't care if you sketch it out on a note, you know, like a notepad in order to get feedback, but all of that feedback is going to be beneficial. There's no reason to skip it. There's no excuse that makes it okay. For sure. And even if you, you know, we do it with our branding practice too. You know, we help, um, you know, right, you know, work with people on their value propositions and stuff like that. We put that in front of, um, you know, real users as well and say, does this make sense to you? Is, is our message conveying the message that we want it to convey? And we get a ton of great feedback. You know, somebody might say, well, you know, there's a little too much jargon or I don't understand this terminology. And, and so, um, it really just helps you step out of your, of your business and, and learn and hear from the user's perspective. So it's extremely valuable and it's data, like it's real data that can be used. Um, we have, um, a lot of our clients come back to us with, you know, the data that we provided and, and we talk to them about how they can use it in investor pitches Mm. because to be able to say that you've put your product in front of, you know, in front of real users that you surveyed, you know, hundreds of people about this product that you validated your personas, that means something to investors. And it also helps in, you know, when you're, putting together sales pitch decks, 
you know, make sure you're talking about the stuff that matters to the people. And, and so using real user feedback to say that, you know, 75% of users said this and 90 said this, and this was identified as a real pain point. Is it something you experience? And like really being able to engage in that conversation um, through the eyes of the customer. So it's extremely helpful for, for both of those things, in addition to just helping you create a great product. But I think presenting your findings goes entirely differently when you have um, data, right? Absolutely. It's not you guys sitting over there being like, well, Tallwave thinks this is a bad idea, right? And even when they don't want to hear it, it's something that, you know, you may you may push it aside at first because it's just an emotional reaction, but you let it soak in because it's, it's data, it's facts. This is not Absolutely. a he said, she said. And we try to, um, you know, just understanding that, the product is, you know, this is their baby. And, you know, we don't, um, it's, it's great for us to do the testing because, and I always start the test with, I just want you to know, this is not my idea. This is not my design. You know, I'm just here to collect like really good candid feedback, but we do make sure that, um, if we are going to make suggestions, it is backed by data. And then we try to use that like build, break, build type of approach in the presentation so that, you know, making sure that we do highlight things that that the users liked, but um, not spending too much time on it and then really digging into that detail of, of where the product can improve. But then, you know, making sure that we end on on positives because it, you do always have to be sensitive to the approach, mm-hmm. um, but you want to make sure that you're not afraid to share real data that they may not want to hear. Um, ultimately, everything that we're presenting to them is um, to help them and to help them make the right decisions around their product. So um, it would it would be unfair of us to not to not give them the the ugly details sometimes. I, yeah, I mean, I think that, well, I mean, it is literally your jobs, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> always. but I also think even for our listeners as product managers within their own companies, it is our job. It is our job to listen to the market and to be the voice of the market, not to just provide the, the good feedback, but to your point, how you present that matters. Nobody wants to hear that their baby is ugly. Uh, mm-hmm. First, you want to hear that the baby's really smart and then, you know, maybe yeah. there's some, you know, you, you, you need to think about how you deliver it so that it is can be received the best way possible. Absolutely. Excellent. Absolutely. It, it, and it doesn't mean that people always receive it well, but it's, um, you know, for the most part, um, we don't run into too many issues where um, they don't listen to us and don't take our advice. And I think in your situation too, that people have approached you for this advice. So hopefully some of that, uh, buy into the process, some of that emotional preparedness is already done. It's why they came there. I'm sure there mm-hmm. are people though who go hoping just for a, you know, rubber stamp of awesomeness, but. Absolutely. And if I could give any advice like to a product manager, because sometimes, um, you know, somebody in the leadership team has made the decision to, um, to test the product and, um, and, it's something that the product managers should embrace. Mm. Um, it's it's rarely because somebody thinks that they're not doing their job or they're not picking the right features or the, the roadmap um, isn't something that leadership feels confident in, but it's a way to support what you're doing. But it's also a way to, you know, we get so caught up in, in what we're doing every day that, 
um, it's always great to hear somebody else's perspective. So, um, you know, most of the times when we've gotten a little bit of resistance, it's, it's been from somebody that thinks that we're trying to, um, you know, like undermine them or tell them how to do their job. And, and that's really not the case. I mean, it's, we're a hundred percent here to support them and make them the hero in this situation. Because at the end of the day, if this product is amazing, you know, that, that product manager is the one that's going to receive the credit for it. So, you know, we're always trying to make our, our customers, the hero in, in this story. And so, you know, any advice would be just to really welcome, um, welcome outside feedback and to, you know, work close with, um, whether it's tall wave that they're working with or any third party, um, really just to be as involved as possible, um, with a very open mind. Again, I think that's great feedback. Um, embrace this as a partner at the end of the day, work closely with it and, and take that outside feedback as a way just to improve what you have, because none of us know everything. Um, Absolutely. And again, and we may know it and just forgot about it because we're mm. all so busy. Oh, that's a very valid point too. It's not always a, you know, an aha as much as it could be. Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I knew that. That happens all the time. All the time. All right, Terry, this has been great. And we've talked about a lot of different things. If you were to pick two things that you wanted people to do differently tomorrow, based on what we talked about today, what would it be? So definitely test the product. Um, no matter where you are, um, to your point, if it's if it's an idea that you're just sketching on paper, um, grab a few friends, run it past them. Um, just show anybody, stop someone in the street and just talk about your idea. Um, the other, the other piece of advice that I would give and, and what people should do is if you, if you don't have the budget and you know, it's something that you need to do, get online. There are tools out there that are, you know, one-time use. Um, there's, there's a ton of stuff out there that can, that can put you in the right direction. So don't ever think that um, funding or money should be a reason um, not to get the product, to test the product um, before moving any further. And if somebody wants to reach out and learn more about Tallwave, how can they do that? So they can definitely um, visit our website at tallwave.com. Um, my email address is uh, terry.oshaughnessy at tallwave.com. And um, should I spell it or I will, will it put be it in the, in okay. the description as a Caligaris? I will I will know <laughs> that we have to put in the description so that people aren't like, how do I spell that? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, visit visit the website for sure. And there's, um, you know, if, if people have questions, they can definitely just call us and, um you know, if it's if it's a fit, we'll talk to you about um, work that we can do. If it's not, um, we know a lot of people in the market and would be happy to make recommendations of um, other services that um, may be of better value. But um, I like to think that that we offer quite a bit, and um, we'd be happy to talk to anyone. Awesome. All right. So thank you so much for joining me, Terry. It was a pleasure to have you on, and I hope you'll join us again. Thank you so much. Enjoy your day. Thanks. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. <laughs> <laughs>